0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Scots Way podcast. And today I'm joined by Catch Holmes to talk about the Knock and Gorach Festival, which is on the 25th to the 28th of May this year. Hello, Catch.
1: Hello there, everyone.
0: So before we talk about this year's festival, it's the 25th anniversary this year. Can you give us a bit of the history of the festival?
1: Yeah, I can definitely. Um, I can give you a bit, or I can also give you a lot. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, you give as much as you like. Yeah,
1: <laughs> stop me in the middle, somewhere halfway. Um, yeah. So it started in 1998, and it was originally an idea um of my parents, Simon and Liz Holmes. Um, they had hosted an international rainbow gathering, which for those who are not familiar was a an kind of international institution that used to happen, I'm not actually sure if they still do, where people would gather together in international locations and share music and chat and workshops. And these, this international gathering happened at Nokigor because we knew some people I used to do some road protesting in the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, No, I don't look old enough, but I did find meet some people in the rainbow gathering sort of circuit then. So they came to hear about the place and asked if they could hold uh, this very large sort of several thousand people from around the world's rainbow gathering. Um, And although it didn't take place on the Nockingarat land, it took place on the mountain behind us Mm -hmm. and -and Nockingarat became the welcome center. So you had these people coming from all over the place to this welcome center. So that gave my mum and dad the idea of oh you know a large festival people come and this could be possible and at the same time you know Celtic Connections festival was sort of really getting going I think it was '95 Celtic Connections started and my mum had been going with her friend to various gigs and there was this whole burgeoning of Scottish traditional music I think yeah. it got a bit of a resurgence in the '90s you know you had bands like Sugar Nifty and Peabody Fairies and the term acid croft and there was this, just this real celebration of the music and the culture and I think my mum and dad who were not from Galloway but moved there in the 70s from London and had lived there and I was born in Dumfries but they kind of got swept up with this and grew to love the music yeah. who I would say probably largely counts connections and they went to a gig and old blind dogs were playing who who are who are who were and still are brilliant mm-hmm underestimated band in my opinion you know um and they just thought oh wouldn't it be great to have them play in the field so they went up to johnny hardy after the gig and said what do you think yeah (laughs) (laughs) random people with the field and he said yeah why not so um in that was 97 and then in 98 in midsummer actually it was june midsummer old blind dogs came and played and a couple of hundred people came and uh, we lost loads of money and that was (laughs) Yeah. yeah
0: <laughs> um. So that's that's really interesting because I think at that time there was also the kind of growth of festivals as well. Yeah. So that was something that you were obviously tapping into.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that at that time there were no other festivals of our ilk in Scotland, and in yeah. fact, it was quite a while before they really started to grow. Uh, Wickerman came along. I think it was still the 90s when Wickerman mm-hmm. came along, and obviously they we spoke to them a lot in the beginning. Was obviously, the same region, um, and then you had a solfest in Cumbria, who also spoke who we also spoke to us a lot at the beginning, and then Eden came along later. but really, the kind of Scottish festival scene that you see now didn't really properly take off, I would say, till the noughties when it really started to take hold. so we for quite a while we were sort of one of the only festivals. when I say obviously there were greenfield folk festivals, but there was nothing like this kind of eclectic sort of folky, trad, land-based with a kind of fusion of different styles of music and a bit like what's happening in the South. And, you know, I'd been to, I'd been to Glastonbury and I went to a lot of festivals in the South when I was road protesting, actually, and, and sort of a little bit plugged into that scene. But it was much later, I think, that it really hit Scotland. And obviously now we have a really incredible yeah. scene. But in those days, we for a long time, we were the only one. and And we didn't do any formal promotion or marketing you know it was it was very grassroots uh we it was almost entirely word of mouth it was a very organic growth um you know within about a few years we were kind of managing to cover costs and yes it was an absolute labor of love in the beginning and we didn't have a business plan and i remember reading a guide in the list magazine about 10 15 years ago about how to put on a festival all right and about five of the ten points that it told you not to do, <laughs> like have a pronounceable name that people remember. Uh-huh. Okay, maybe they remember it, but it's not pronounceable for all, for that many people. Uh, secondly, have it in a very easily accessible place. We're not difficult to access, but we're not by a main road or anything. We're not by a city, and uh, and I remember reading that article and going, oh, oh well, <laughs> you know, it wasn't. It was a very organic, what I'm saying is, I guess it wasn't something that was planned in a way. It kind of came upon us. Now, obviously, we have to be a bit, we have to be organised and planned because okay. it is a very busy festival scene.
0: So just think of what size are you expecting in terms of uh, people coming, festival goers?
1: So it's about 3,000 people. Um We're hoping, you know, we are... We can't get that much bigger because our site is quite Mm. small um Mm. we don't have eons and eons of extra fields it's a sort of river valley and it's bounded on each side by mountains and a river so it's only so big and so many people we can take but we do have this year places for people to park off-site because um the vehicles are what take up the space so if we have parking for people off-site we can get more people actually on the site to camp and enjoy the festival
0: it does sound like a beautiful place to listen to music and stay.
1: Yes, um, it definitely is. It's on a site that has been populated for many hundreds, if not thousands of years. There's ruins of settlements all along that river valley and in the southern uplands, which, of course, where it is, you know, some of the mountains aren't so hospitable for living on mm-hmm. or in. There would have been shielings and summer houses, but once you're in the, the sort of meadow plain of Knockangorek, you can see how it's a perfect place for people to have lived yeah. and to gather. They used to play football there, I believe in, in, in last century. And there was even a school there. And if you look on the old maps, it was a wee castle or a tower, Knockangorek tower. And all along that river, there were settlements. And so it's, and it's very lush. The pasture is very green and we call it a natural amphitheater. So the stage is made out of local timber and the, the music. And the base and the often bass kind of reverberates off the hills, so it's sort of like a natural amphitheater.
0: And so, from that initial beginning, uh, old blind dogs playing in a field, as you said, how did you grow it? Are you it was natural? So you just kind of little bits every year.
1: Uh, yeah. It seems like I can't really remember. It's quite a long time ago now. Yeah, sure. But um. It was absolutely natural. So I can't remember what year it was. It must've been maybe five years in or something or four years in, you know, cause I was, I I was like, oh, why don't we have a, a tent for people to go to, to dance later after the bands are finished? Because for a while, what would happen is somebody would play tunes on the main, there was only one stage then they would just sort of play tunes and people would dance after the bands had finished. And obviously if it rained, that was an issue. And we thought, why don't we put a tent in with a sound system mm-hmm. basically and that was kind of when we i knew mungo's hi-fi i knew the guys doug and tom because they're sort of a similar age to me and they were you know kind of hanging out in fields in the same places as me and i was like oh why don't you come and play in the tent yeah. and they're like, delighted to do so because you know there aren't that many opportunities to play bass music like that um quite late into the night um in such a beautiful location so they were really up for it and so that then we had another venue and then slowly at some point we brought in workshop venues. Uh, I sort of developed all of the teams. So to begin with, it was like 11 of my friends and we did the bar, we did the gate, we did the, and then that kind of sort of I developed that into develop, you know, departments. So you had the gate department, the traffic department, the bar department, the kitchen department. It, it was... Yeah, it was slow. It was like, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to do five venues this year. It was like yeah. each year there was something a little bit extra, there's something a little bit extra. Then my brother kind of was like, right, he had a, you know, he has a venue which is like dedicated to dance music, <laughs> more underground ground styles of dance music. Um, yeah, it was slow, slow and, and steady.
0: But, and you've got Mongols Hi-Fi playing again this year. Is it the case that bands return once they've played, they want to come back and play again?
1: Yeah, most bands want to come back and play again. Yeah, I would say yeah. we try not to have bands, you know, in two consecutive years. Right. Mongols are an exception because we've sort of, you know, uh, we use their sound system for the tent, for the whole four days. So all of the DJs go through their system and they have such right. a, a good sound system for bass that a lot, for a lot of the bass DJs, kind of the bigger names they are, it's a Well, actually, all the names are sort of attracted by the fact that they get to play through Mongo's hi-fi sound system. And they just become a bit of the, you know, kind of like a bit of family now, Mongo's, You know, they've all got children and their children have all grown up coming to Knock and Gork and, you know, they've buried their hamster. Their family pet is buried on the hillside. You know, they've just kind of become part of the fabric now. Um, But all blind dogs, all blind dogs are back Mm -hmm. this year. Uh, And they played at the very first year. And that was something for our 25th year. We wanted to celebrate some of the relationships that have formed over the last 25 years and just kind of look at where we've all come, I suppose.
0: So what can people expect this year if they attend?
1: So there's a range of music from folk, traditional music to electronic and dance music and quite a few things in between, quite a lot of hip hop. Um the bigger names are on the Boeri Green stage, which is the big turf roof stage in the middle of the site. And there's bands like um Zentone, which is a collaboration between two pioneering French dub bands, High Tone and Zenzil, who were two kind of the first sort of French dub um big names, but have played not so much in the UK. Right. Um, they sort of follow on the success of the French dub band we had last year, Lonto who went down really, really, really well. And then we've got Cut Capers, uh, the Langham Band, which is a Scottish band, uh, Daudelin, who are another sort of French sort of soul jazz electronic band, quite hard to define, Yiddish Twist Orchestra coming up from London. Akram Abdul-Fattah, who is a Palestinian violinist, sort of virtuoso, who also plays sort of pop or rock and he's actually doing a fusion with a, a collaboration with a Scottish piper that we've hooked them up together so that's going to be really cool that's some of the live acts and then there's also a drum and bass bad company which is a kind of really old school established drum and bass name like one of the first drum and bass we always yeah. have, like to have a few old school names Um, and then Mongo's are bringing actually an enhanced showcase this year so they've got three MCs coming aziza who's brand new uh, marina p and solo banton um, oh my God, we've got loads, C-Fax <laughs> Acid crew, radioactive man. I'm always quite surprised because people kind of come out the woodwork sometimes. Like I have a friend who's a really big folky and he was like, I'm coming to Dockingarth because you've got C-Fax Acid playing. I was like, oh, that's totally not what I expected him to say. He's like, I've got to come. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely for curious people, people with open minds. and um, Those are the people that we want, you know. I mean, you will discover something at Knock and like you will not have heard of everybody on the bill. And we know that, and that's fine. And we think we've got to a point where enough people trust they will discover something they love. And it's rare that someone doesn't come up to me and go, this was amazing, I discovered this, you know, completely un, sort of unsought out, if you were. And it surprises me every time, but it does always seem to happen, so.
0: And how do you begin to program a festival like this?
1: Well, you don't really stop thinking about it, I suppose. I mean, whenever you're going about, bands kind of come up on the radar, don't they? You know, someone says, oh, this was great. Or have you seen that? Mm -hmm. Or somebody's coming to town, or you hear a tune on the radio and things come into your consciousness, or you've seen something at another festival. So you're thinking about it all year, but I would say that we really start to put the bigger names in place in the autumn, September-ish, we start to book in in earnest but then we're programming right up until January really the next year February with more sort of local names and up-and-coming names and new names and we've got established relationships so we have some long-standing relationships with agents so sometimes they'll suggest acts to us because they know the kind of things that we want or somebody will be touring and they'll be like oh so-and-so's on tour do you want them yeah
0: and I think it would be a good idea to let uh, people know how they can get tickets and uh, other details
1: mm-hmm. Uh, so all available on the website, on the knockinggroat.org.uk website. Uh, we we're expecting to sell out, but we won't know that until we get closer to the time. Tickets are selling well, but we would advise buying your vehicle passes at the very least in advance, because vehicle passes are where the main sort of pressure of selling out is. And yeah, vehicle passes we're on an advance sort of price at the moment; they will go up closer to the time and we're on our sort of final tier before the last sort of gate prices come on and there's, there's concession prices uh, there's disabled free carer tickets and there's youth prices as well and children go free
0: oh brilliant have you any tips for people coming things that you've learned over the years that you think yeah that's a good idea to do that
1: well it's a it's a festival in scotland yeah uh <laughs> be prepared for every weather possibility even if the weather says oh it's going to be really rainy or the weather says oh it's going to be really sunny be prepared for the other because Mm -hmm. it's uh in the hills so it's a bit of a microclimate. so although you know sometimes i'll glance at the weather forecast i tend not to take the weather forecast too seriously because you never know what you're going to get (laughs) and you could get the whole range of weathers in one in one in four days so be prepared bring sun cream and wellies (laughs) um what else and warm clothes but also you know bikini or whatever uh, and, well and there's
0: plenty of food and drink on site and all that oh yeah
1: yeah yeah so there's two bars three bars and lots of food stalls um and lots of uh just normal stalls as well for you know shopping if you want to buy nice things um music stalls bring your children lots of people bring their children there are, you know, there are noisier places to camp and quieter places to camp, but uh, all the stewards are really friendly and will direct you to the best places to go for camping. And there's also disabled places to camp as well. So we're trying to be as accessible as possible and check out the workshops, you know, I mean, it, there is something, there's a lot going on and you can't do it all. It's sometimes yeah. it's almost a bit too much. You're like, God, this is, have we gone over the top? Nobody could do all of this and you always miss out on something. But I think it's nice to just go with the flow sometimes and see where you end up.
0: And then people can come back next year and do the things that they missed out this year.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) And, And you mentioned workshops. What kind of thing could people expect from your workshops?
1: Oh my gosh, um I'm gonna to have to get a little look at my workshop program. Uh so there's there tends to be dance workshops, there's always yoga and tai chi. So we have people <laughs> we have people that stay up late to dance, then we have people that get up early to do yoga and tai chi. Uh we've got Psycho Drumming, they're coming back oh. this year. We've got workshops on beekeeping. Uh we've got a new environmental venue this year, which is a polytunnel, which will be growing organic food year-round, but will mm-hmm. also be a venue for talks and workshops. So we've got another we've also got talks about some of the local features. If you're interested in your history and the, the place around you, there's talks about the Southern Upland Way, obviously, which is a walk that goes close to us. Um Gallic singing workshops there's children's workshops there's storytelling workshops my goodness um we will actually be releasing a full workshops less than the same in the next fortnight um but it's crown full there's circus workshops hula hoop workshops wow yeah there's loads there's loads on i can't remember now that off the top of my head without going and looking up a file on my computer which would be
0: I was going to ask you about the principles behind the festival because it's very green and environmentally friendly. How important is that?
1: Yeah, I mean, because my parents live at that place all year round, it's where I grew up and it's where they still live all year round. You know, we don't just kind of parachute into a field and then parachute out again. So, you know, you're sort of living on the land sort of all all through the seasons. And to be honest, you know, my parents moved there in the 70s with a kind of... Idealistic, leave the city, move to the countryside, grow all your own veg, be self-sustainable. Obviously, harder, quite quite difficult to do that, especially in such an upland area where the, the growing season is quite short. But you know they're very <clears throat> aware of. They see the land and the site all year round, so we're kind of aware of the impact of it. You know, the longer term impact. So I often talk about the swallows. You know, that migrate away. They always come back around about May time. And they always like roost in amongst the stage they kind of fly in and out above the performers um so we're really aware of the local of the wildlife of the site um all of the venues are built out of materials that are available on and around the site so the long house is a recreation of an iron age dwelling that would have sat in that very position hundreds of years ago and that's been built with uh wattle and daub and traditional based lime and basically, turf sort of mud walls with rocks. Um, it's been it's been a total labour of love that that thing. So, you know, whilst we definitely still practice all the things like recycling and single lack, try not to use single use plastics. Encouraging people not to come in their cars to car share, mm-hmm. to take the bus, to take the knock bus that we run from the central belt. It's also about something deeper than that. It's also about connecting people with the place that they are in understanding that they're a part of the place that they're in and growing to love and want to protect that place because after all these kind of remote places in Scotland if people don't, individuals don't take an interest and want to look after them then there are other larger interests that are maybe more monetary driven can move into these places and they perhaps aren't so concerned about the long-term environmental impacts of these places because their main objective is making money. So it's, you know, we feel that <coughs> merely simply by existing and having an event in such a place, we're helping to sustain that place for future generations.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was at a book launch last year in Dumfries, and a lot of the people I spoke to and the people involved kind of had the feeling that Dumfries and Galloway is kind of almost like a forgotten bit of Scotland, you know people go there because there's a thing to go to rather than passing through. Um, I guess with the motorway, that's probably done that. So is it, you've explained the importance to it, but is it, how do you feel about Galloway and the arts? And, and you know, do you think it suffers? I mean, so you've got you like the book festival, of course, which is great. But again, it's not the easiest one to get to. No, I
1: mean, don't get me started. At Dumfries and Galloway is um, where I'm from mm-hmm. and... I, you know, I feel, I, I live in Edinburgh now, but I'm down in got a lot and sort of relocating and putting my child in school there for a bit uh it's absolutely one of the kind of forgotten gems of scotland as they call it you know a lot of tourists come to scotland they fly to the central belt they go to the highlands and off they fly again from glasgow edinburgh or they drive up on the motorway from the south straight up the m74 up the corridor and completely miss out and i find myself explaining to people outside of scotland a lot where dumfries and Gallery i'm like you know the big lump that sticks out in the southwest of Scotland. Like, oh, it's, it's quite a large lump, actually. It sticks out quite a lot. It's actually quite big. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm like, well, that's where I'm from. I'm like, it's quite an interesting place. <clears throat> the history is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the Kingdom of Galloway, which was a separate kingdom <clears throat> to the rest of Scotland, had affinities with Ireland and Scandinavia at one point, as much as it did with Scotland and even England and Cumbria. And um, it's very rural. And a lot of Scotland has rural challenges, but I think the difference, one of the differences about Dumfries and Galloway is it's it's not very populated and it's quite big. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have any kind of you know crofting status, even though in reality, it's not as high as the Highlands. There's no Monroes, just Corbetts, right. but it is quite a high mountain range. It is quite a significant mountain range for Scotland, but it often gets lumped in with the lowlands. Mm-hmm it gets called the lowlands because it's south of the central belt. So it doesn't really fit very well into the kind of quick and easy view of Scotland in a way. Yeah. Also there's issues about, you know, language and heritage. And obviously it was a Gallic kingdom at one point, but a lot of people don't know that. And I have people saying to me still, oh, Gallic wasn't spoken into Fries and Galloway. And, you know, I've done <clears throat> quite a few Gallic projects down there um, and work with the some Gallic musicians and sort of put them in residencies. There was Orin Bakri, which was about an, a Gallic song. There's another one now about the Merlin Project. But I think that the kind of, <clears throat> in a way, the diversity of the history of the place makes it harder to sell externally, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, I think that's probably right because even saying oh it's the borders is a very different thing from Jedburgh to you know to where yeah. you are.
1: It's really, really different. And you know, we we never had the kind of Victorians coming in and so or Sir so Walter Scott kind of creating this air of romanticism about I mean we had we had Robbie Burns, sure, yeah. and he was great, but you know, and everybody claims I mean everybody claims Ravi Burns pretty much. I mean he was definitely from the southwest no one can deny that yeah but um, i don't know that he's I, I mean export wise i don't know that rabbi burns is a successful like everyone's heard "Old lang syne but how many people know that rabbi burns wrote it you know mm. i don't know so we you know i i find i find it fascinating because i find the history of that area particularly interesting because it is in a kind of geographical crossroads of the whole of the united kingdom mm-hmm. because it is placed between cumbria Ireland, Scotland and Wales, you know, Northumbria on the east, mm-hmm. Cumbria below, Ireland to the west, Argyll and the Gales and Scotland to the north. So at one point it was very multilingual and it would have had, tri- it did have tri- the tribal peoples and medieval times of all of these language, and it was also one of the main ways to get to Ireland and still is, you know, over land. So for example, when they used to drive the cattle over from Ireland to London, they would always come down through southwest Scotland and and perhaps again now with Brexit, it's it's the frontier. Yeah, it, It's the land frontier in a way between, you know, uh, this island and an Ireland island or Europe as it may be. Yeah. So it, it's it's a fascinating sort of slightly under exposed part of Scotland. And I, I guess I sort of quite keen to do as much as I can to, to bring the word of, of the place out there because it's also incredibly beautiful, but because it's not that as touristed as some parts of Scotland, it also means that, how would I say this, there is more leeway for larger commercial interests to do things with the land that might not always be the best for the land and community.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, (laughs) yes. But of course, in the summer, the kind of north-west of Scotland in particular is nose-to-tail almost these days, you know. So if you want a part of Scotland that's a bit quieter and is equally beautiful, you know, Gala- Dumfries and Galloway is a good place to go.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We could be doing the Highlands and, and the Islands and Sky a big favour because I know Sky is absolutely overrun in tourist season. Yeah. Um, it's like, we could take some of them! <laughs> Send them our way. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: And I was thinking, um, I've been going back out to gigs and theatre and there's just a real enthusiasm, it seems to me, maybe after initial concern after COVID and lockdown, but that people are just so willing to be entertained and to see live music and all of those things. Is that an exciting aspect of the festival?
1: Well, we, I think as with many live music institutions, we had, you know, this time off worrying time this time to really think about what why what we were doing and why we were doing it and, and whether we could do it again yeah um, and I guess you know we did come to a position where we were like when when obviously we had to deliver the festival straight after the pandemic because we had all these ticket holders that had been holding their tickets for three years but we were like <laughs> this is very stressful that's a lot of work do we want to continue why are we continuing right. um and you know and after some thoughts after 25 years, and, and it it is a milestone for us as well. It feels like a long time, we were like, for reasons that I said before about what we're bringing back to the land, we sort of thought, yeah, you know, we do want to continue bringing benefits to the land. And one of the ways to bring attention and profile and, and duty of care is by making people aware of this place that exists. So we decided to carry on, but we were very much like, we don't know what, it's going to be like going forward and i also work with venues because i also represent some bands so Mm -hmm. i i think that the industry is in a different position depending on what you do from our side of things we are selling well
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and i think that is due to a combination of factors i suspect that outdoor events feel safer if you are concerned about Pandemic-related issues, mm-hmm. um, younger events possibly do better because younger people are less concerned. Um, also, you know, it is our twenty-fifth year, and we're making a massive song and dance about that. And I think people are delighted that we're back and and that we are continuing. So we've done okay, but I I know from my work as an agent
0: mm-hmm. that
1: the live music industry is still struggling to get back mm-hmm. to where somewhere near where it was before uh there's still reschedules happening there's still backlog from uh from the pandemic and and also people are well you know cost of living enclosed mm-hmm. venues maybe older people are still concerned about these things i don't know i don't know where we're going with that but and i also don't know where we're going i mean i'm like maybe this is just the 25th year and that's why we're doing well maybe next year it'll be awful you know i i, I don't know we this is this is a this is a bum on the edge of your seat business. You know, you don't, you you just don't know what's coming. Uh, and I guess, you know, you don't do it unless you're okay with a little bit of risk and a bit of excitement because then when it does work, obviously it feels great.
0: Now, this might be an impossible question to answer, but is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to? I know you've told us how much is going on, so it may be impossible, but is there something that you think, yeah, that's gonna be special?
1: Yeah, I always have a little top picks that's like my own personal top picks that I say to all my friends and like, you know, because as I'm putting the program together, I'm like, ooh, ooh, yeah, oh that's unusual. Yeah. You know, there are a few special commissions happening because it's our 25th year. Um, So the Mungo's set on the Sundays. They've they've never had three MCs before. That's going to be amazing, I think. And they've not ever performed before those three MCs either. So that's going to be a big show. Uh, we've got a commission with Ocean All Over, who are a performance art group based in Dumfries and Galloway which is kind of going to be based around adders which are a slightly endangered species species these days Um, we used to see a lot more in the site but with the the advent of commercial forestry since the 80s it's taken away a lot of their habitat as has other industrial land operations in the area Mm -hmm. and we're seeing the decline of quite a lot of local species that when I was younger we used to see a lot of Uh, so they're doing a, a mission around adders and then we've got the new Polytunnel venue, which is the Diskey Centre for Food Arts and Learning, which we're going to have an exhibition in, and obviously eventually vegetables, and I can't wait to see how that's going to look. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and a few bands here and there that I'm I'm quite excited about, a few international performers, we've got a Chilean group coming in, who are going to be quite out there, and amazing kind of progressive, indigenous Chilean folk rock wow. jazz. Yeah, the Chilean indigenous folk rock jazz is um, something else.
0: It's so, a, a happening scene. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's <laughs> a you, it's the sort of thing you might only ever see at Knockengarach and certain parts of Chile. Yeah. So uh, you know, we always will always have something on offer that you will not see, you will not see anywhere else. Um, oh, there's there is going to be loads of things. My, my mind kind of quails at. I won't be able to see it all. I'm going to miss loads of it. That's yeah, that's sad for me but what can you do?
0: <laughs> well it all sounds fantastic. Catch, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it and all the best with Knock and Gorach.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, maybe you'll make it down for a day or
0: night? I, I, I will try my best, absolutely. It's, it's a part of the world I don't get to enough. But so yeah, yeah great excuse yeah. to do just that.
1: Oh do please then, yeah, let me know.
0: And we'll be back soon with someone completely different.